For your throne of grace, we can find mercy and grace to help us in the time of need. And we are so thankful that you give us understanding, Lord, and you want to give us more. We'll never exhaust your knowledge, Lord, and that's so wonderful. You always have good things in store for us. So we honor you and we praise you. We give you this time, Lord, to just do what you want to help your people today. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen. So we're going to talk. Talk today about Philippians 4. Think on those things or think on these things. This is your mental health prescription uh, for those who, you know, sometimes people get caught up in the um, the lies of the enemy, you know, the bad news that's out there. And um, it's good that we have a prescription in the Bible for how to keep ourselves spiritually, emotionally, and mentally fit. So uh, this was always my mental health epistle when I was uh, recovering uh, my health, uh, especially my mental health. And um, God helped me quite a bit uh, in this uh, uh, scripture. And so it was always a blessing for me to be able to um, understand and know that there was a way for me to stay peaceful in my mind and, and to grab a hold of my thoughts. Um, one of the things that people who either have depression or some other kind of mental uh, unrest will tell you that they don't seem to have any kind of control over how they think or they don't believe they do. And so... <clears throat> This scripture was very, very important for me uh, because I felt like I was a victim to my thought life and that, you know, unless I had some uh, pills or some therapy or something, you know, there was no help for me. But when I saw this scripture, at first I was a little upset about it. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean, God? What do you mean with this? How can I do that? I've never been able to. I don't believe I can do that. You know, all that stuff. And finally, when I stopped grumbling and start embracing what he was telling me, I found I had hope. Amen. For the first time, I found I have hope. And hope is extremely important because even in the absence of faith, hope will keep you alive. You ask anybody who's, you can be the most high-powered faith person there is, but if your hope is gone, look at all the ministers that are depressed, they say, and ready to quit. Some of them even commit suicide, and they have saving faith because they're saved. But if you champion faith above hope, you're putting the... the uh, cart in front of the horse so to speak you know you can't faith will take you to what you hope for but hope has to reside there first in your heart so that you can have something to connect your faith to see hope inspires us that there is a possibility of something better hope is that ray of light at the end of the tunnel that you're moving toward if you don't have that what are you going to connect your faith to your faith really is useless because it doesn't have a focus and it doesn't have anything it's moving toward and so hope is very important I I heard some uh, um, they keep playing this clip of this uh, reporter uh, telling President Trump he's given people false hope. Uh, 
and and uh, the president was rightfully angry. You know, you get sick of people rebuking you, and they don't have your job, they don't know what you do, and they're really trying to make a name for themselves at your expense. You know what I'm saying? And this is no time. This is a serious time. This is no time to be sparring uh, with someone in authority. You know, accusing them of leading people the wrong way. And I'm thinking to myself, what's wrong with giving people hope? You know, and don't ever let us be the kind of people who start snatching people's hope away and discouraging people. You let people hope. You let them believe. You let them dream. You let them think of a better day. You understand me? Because if you don't see a better day coming, you will succumb to illness. You'll succumb to deception. You will succumb to everything that's negative. What do you expect somebody to get up there and say, oh, it's really bad. We can't can't do anything that is so stupid you know if you don't have anything better to say in a crisis situation than that then shut up you got me i was watching this uh, a friend of ours on facebook she's a minister and she said well you people who keep sending me these notes about how bad it is and we're going under and where the virus is spreading i'll stop sending that to my facebook page she said get off of me with that she said i'm believing god i am healed this nation is healed she said i'm praying for a better day and she she ended it with that and we need to rebuke the naysayers We need to rebuke the doom and gloom people because people have come to expect a bunch of negativity from the church. And we have the blessed hope. We have a hope that if this, if you do get sick and you do pass away, we can let you know that there is a life beyond this if you didn't get this life right. You understand what I'm saying? So don't you ever succumb to that nonsense of, of not encouraging people to believe for a better day. You gotta believe for a better day. Cause it won't come to you. It'll come all around you and it won't come to you if you don't have hope in your heart for something better. And so it's it's a good thing for us to hope and it's a good thing for us to be encouraged and it's a good thing for us to focus on this will pass and it will be a better day. We're praying that more people survive and not succumb to to death and and bind up that death angel and, and plead the blood over people and command that thing to pass over and keep going. And and so these things will always pass. The works of darkness will never prevail over God's people and over this nation if God's people will pray. And so we we have to stay in our place as believers. We have to stay in focusing on what's important and what's going to keep us in the kind of mindset where we can hear from God. So Paul is telling us what things to think on for a purpose. He's not just dictating uh, some mind control to people. He's not trying to boss you around and tell you what to do but Paul has earned a reputation with this church this is one of the churches that he founded and he has taken care of this church all the time that this church has been in existence Um, it looks like the Philippian church had been in existence for at least 20 years if not more Uh, this is at toward the end of Paul's life uh, when he is imprisoned he's been imprisoned he hasn't seen these people in more than 11 years 
So this is a church that's been around for a little bit. They have their own pastors there. They've been encouraged by by Paul on different occasions, you know, through other letters that he has sent and and other uh, writings that he has done to encourage them. And so this one is is one that we can uh, look at as belonging to faithful people to keep them faithful. Uh, there were some churches that were struggling because of immaturity, uh, because of sin in their midst and tolerating sin in their midst. But it looks like the Philippian church was not that type of church, even though they were a mixed type of a congregation. Philippi, uh, that place was settled. It, it really was a um part of Macedonia uh, to start with. And, of course, the Greeks came in and and took over from the Macedonians and then the Romans came in took over from the Greeks so by this time they're more Greco-Roman than they are uh, Macedonian in any way and so uh, Paul is talking to a people who um, are accomplished people as far as worldly things are concerned the Greeks were known for their uh, mental I guess you could say their focus on mental abilities, um, thinking, philosophy, oratory, those were all part of Greek culture. The Romans were known as a warring, warring people. They were strong physically, uh, and they were conquerors. They were overcomers. And so Paul then has to, to minister and reach a mixture of people, uh, from the brawn to the brain, I guess you could say, for, uh, for the, uh, physically accomplished and the mentally accomplished. And so he is appealing to them, uh, in ways that they can understand. That's why you'll see sometimes Paul will talk about, uh, uh, warfare. He'll use a lot of, uh, analogies relating to war. Uh, he says, uh, endure hardness as a good soldier, you know, and that's to appeal to the Roman aspect of, of, of that culture. The people understood that. When he talked to the Jews, he talked totally differently to them. He referred them back to the Old Testament, to the scriptures and so forth. But with these people, he knew how to reach them according to their culture um, that they they lived in. God knows how to reach everybody. You know, you don't have to read books on how to reach this people and how to reach that people. I mean, sometimes it's good to know, but you're not going to debate with people. You're going to lead them to Christ. You got me? And so if you know some things that they believe that they're not, uh, that are not true, then you can, can use that, but don't depend on your own mental knowledge to, to do those things. The Holy Spirit will tell you when that kind of, of information needs to be drawn in. And so Paul was an expert at, he said he'd become all things to all men that he could by all means win some to Christ. And so it's it's kind of fitting, but the Philippian church seems to be a little bit more of a mature church. They are mature enough that they sent Paul money a couple times when he was really needing uh to to uh have some some money to manage the rest of the churches. He didn't 
use need it for himself and he said that uh, but he needed it to distribute to other churches in the realm so that they could have their needs met as well and so uh, he could talk to the Philippians in a certain language a certain way expecting a certain level of obedience out of them that he maybe could not expect from some of the other churches that were a little bit newer less mature and so forth and so on and so he begins to command them to rejoice. So we talked about this a little bit yesterday uh, with the Thessalonian uh, admonishment. All of the churches, he always commanded them to stay full of joy. He was very much in tune with them staying encouraged as a church because of the persecution because of the enemy's infiltration you know if the devil can get you scared he can get you to do almost anything men if he can get you intimidated and backed into a corner he can get you to do a lot of things that you wouldn't normally do look at all the the christians that uh vote for abortion and say that's not why they vote you understand what I'm saying? See, they're deceived. Their minds are twisted in that they there's something else that they're afraid of that they're willing to sacrifice human life. You understand what I'm saying? And to vote for that and encourage that. So there's something else they're afraid of that pushes them to make that kind of decision. You know, it's hard for people who really, when you're not in that that mental bondage mindset it's kind of hard for you to think well how in the world can they square that with anything else but see the enemy has used used fear and intimidation to get people coerce people into obedience forever you know and so that's why paul says you know don't let yourself get entangled with yoke of bondage once jesus has set you free why would you go back into bondage again and i think many times people think that they're being exclusive or high well they see that's not me i don't do it for that reason but you're still giving your signature to taking an innocent life See, this is not the death penalty for a murderer. This is an innocent life. Somebody's never done anything. They haven't even been born yet. And so there's something there that pushes people to make that decision where they're confused enough to think that it's okay in their case because I'm not really doing it for this reason I'm doing and this to me this outweighs this over here but this is a command of God you know this isn't like New Testament where it's vague this is one of the ten you know, the ten you don't ever argue with. You got me? Cause they're, they're set in stone. So God doesn't, doesn't deviate on his command for us when it comes to the ten commandments. They're kind of like black and white. You know, don't look at somebody else's wife. Don't look at somebody else's possessions because you want to take them. You understand what I'm saying? And so these are the things that we have to understand are non-negotiable as far as God is concerned. And so, you know, I, I admonish people all the time. I said, you better be careful what, you know, how you vote, what you sign up for, what you promote, uh, whose uh, name you put out on your lawn. You understand what I'm saying? 
Because God has already judged these things. And it's coming to a showdown with the abortion people. You got me? Uh, pretty soon it won't be a law of the land anymore. And so, you know, you're gonna, you wanna be found on God's side, uh, definitely because your life is at stake. You gotta live. You gotta prosper. You gotta be blessed. You gotta have health. You gotta have money. You gotta have all the things that God provides for us. And so he, he gives people time to straighten their minds out so that they can get themselves free from deception but you got to be getting your mind straight you know you can't be adamant and say is Pastor Bob trying to tell me what to do Mm -hmm." you know you follow me as I follow Christ and I'm not following him in the shedding innocent blood we prayed against that for 30 years and we're finally seeing some fruit you really think God is going to let people off the hook if they hook up with that? I don't think so. So, so, you know, you're, you're fighting against 30 years worth of prayer, at least in this ministry. And look at all the, the people in the Catholic Church who have, you know, they've suffered a lot of persecution. They've been, they've been some things wrong there like they're wrong with anybody else's church. But they've suffered a lot of persecution because of their stand against the shedding of innocent blood. See, they've always stood publicly against abortion and t- taking the persecution and the heat and the you know all that stuff that comes with it so what are we doing see we can't hide amen so i'm not saying you need to get out there on the picket line if you don't feel calm but you you got to take a stand against that in order to please god so i don't care what your mind is telling you so paul is telling us amen how to think He's telling us how to think. And this is very important because this, uh, is, is one of the marks of maturity in Christ. I see. Like for instance, when you're a new Christian, uh, you can, can pray for something and, and then once you start learning the word and learning, uh, the proper way to pray and how to use your faith, you look back and you wonder, my goodness, how did I get any of those crazy prayers answered? Amen. Because, well, you were using the knowledge that you had, you know, like like uh, Brother Hagin said, God told him you believe as far as you know. Amen. So you believe what you know. As far as you know. But as you get older in the Lord, you come to an understanding, you know, oh, when I prayed that way, there was some doubt in that. There was some fear in that. There was some, but Jesus in his mercy ministered over your prayer and decided that there was enough faith there that he can honor it and bless you. He likes to encourage us, amen, and the things that we need. But then after you come to a, a little a more maturity, you begin to understand, oh yeah, this, this, I can take the emotion out of this and I can put more faith in if I go this way, if I begin to incorporate this kind of scripture into my praying, uh, then I can be more efficient in my prayer. So we take the begging and the emotion and all of that stuff out and we begin to pray the word and you can pray the word fervently you don't have to just pray it like a a machine but if you can get it out like a machine that's good to start and then it starts getting grafted in your heart and then you can start hiding the word in your heart the way God says we're supposed to so we won't sin against him amen so it's always good to learn that God is maturing us 
in the way that we use our faith and in the way that we do the things that we do. So here we have here Paul is giving the Philippian church instructions on how to stay healthy in their minds and I like that and he says here in in starting in verse in chapter 4 starting in verse 6 he says be careful or anxious or worry don't worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God so your prayer should include number one no worry remember our first prayers when we were new Christians they were full of worry oh God if you could just do this God can you please God help me please God please God so he tells you right now take the worry out of your prayer Stop worrying. Don't bring that into the throne room. Leave it outside. So that's one of the things that you repent of and you cleanse yourself of it is your worry. You know, if you're worrying, you tell God, God, I thank you, Lord, that that you have given me peace. And, and right now I renounce worry, you know, and please forgive me for focusing on what I don't have in the presence of a God with abundance. Think of the insult that is, you know. Like, for instance, if you you worked every day and you worked very hard and you put away uh, for your family and you stored up for them and they were your main focus and your kids say, well, Dad, I know you don't have anything and I know you don't have much, (laughs) you know, that kind of stuff. No, you want them to come to you in confidence, amen. You know, really, to be honest with you, people who have confidence in you build your confidence, yeah. You know, I mean, seriously, I don't know of a parent who, after their children started to expect from them, that they just walked away with their heads hanging down and say, oh, I can't do this. I, you know what I'm saying. You, you kind of got built up and you say, oh yeah, you know, well, you know, let me plan for that. You start making plans to meet those needs. And so God is, is more perfect. More perfect in that way than we are because he's already got the needs, you know, he's already got that covered, he's got the provision, but it's up to us to put our confidence and our faith over in him because he's already got the goods and he's never short on anything and he will supply all of our needs, amen, just like he says he will. And so he begins here by saying, don't bring any worries to me. Don't come to me with that. It says, but in everything, whatever your need is, whatever your situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Amen. So you are through prayer, supplication, And thanksgiving, I'm going to look up this word supplication for you real quick because it's one of those words people think, I I know supplication can can encourage you to open up and pour your heart out to God. But I'm thinking it's more of a heart of adoration and a heart of praise instead of (laughs) something with complaining. Amen. So supplication, where are you? Well... 
1162. All right. Yeah, it means request, specific, petition, supplication, and request. So your request really specifies what it is you need from God. So when, when, uh, people who teach on prayer and teach on the word would say, be specific with what you want from God. Don't call the dog if you want the cat. Amen. And so, uh, um, when you're specific, it indicates a higher level of faith, a confidence and a boldness that you have that God will supply. So you want to live in that place of confidence in God's supply. Thanksgiving also lets you know or lets God know that you expect it. Thanksgiving always points to expectation. It's, it takes the doubt out of, you know, if you can, can put Thanksgiving in your lips and in your heart, the doubt will start to evaporate and disappear. Amen. He says, let your requests be made known unto God. So let God know what you need, not man. You know, a lot of times people get around the saints and start throwing hints about what's wrong in their life. <laughs> when we were immature and didn't know any better, you know. And then people never confess what's really wrong with them. You know, they confess the stuff that <laughs> they think you can help them with uh, in the natural. You know, many times people, if they're fearful, they don't confess it. If they're, they feel intimidated, they don't say those things. If they're in fornication, they don't readily confess that. They just want to hide that and, and hope it doesn't get discovered, you know? Uh, when you're around God's people, the Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you will be healed. See, when you're, when you're slipping around in, in, in sin, you don't need to be fearful of being uncovered. You need to be fearful of staying there. You know, I mean, it's, come on, let's, let's be scared about the wrong, the right thing. And so it, it tells you, uh, that you need to be healed if you've got something wrong, if there's something not right in your life. It needs to be confessed and prayed over so that you can be healed. And so he tells us that, that uh, we're to go to God in thanksgiving, requesting, praying. Uh, that word prayer is a little different than supplication. Now supplication, really, we said to petition or ask. Prayer, let me see what that means real quick, 4333. Okay, it really, this one, this implication means to verbally worship. Uh huh. So it's it's it has it has the implication of being earnest in your heart about it, not just. This is a deeper thing than the supplication, because in supplication you're simply looking at what your need is. You look at God's word and you request what you need. Prayer really means a deeper level of communication with God. So when we pray the word, 
that supplication, like we put it out there, what we desire from God, is kind of like a contract thing. God, I see in your word, you say that I can have this. I'm asking you to bless me with it kind of thing. And I'm thanking you that you're going to bring that to me, whatever, whatever. But then prayer goes beyond. And Father, I worship you that you are almighty God. You're the maker and creator of all things. Father, you're a good God. Your mercy endures forever. You won't withhold any good thing. That's prayer so that's different one part is a contract where you have permission from God to expect him to provide certain things the other part is acknowledging him as God like when Jesus would go away to pray that implied that he was working in his relationship with the father You know, just whatever that included, that included worship, that included a fervor, that included a desire to let God know that you love him and that you're expecting him. You know he's a good God. Uh, You're not uh, angry because you don't have certain things, but you're making peace with him through prayer and in thanksgiving. Always be thankful. Let thanksgiving permeate your heart and your being the more thanksgiving you have the less fear you have you know i mean there's so many things that we can can petition uh from our spirits call up from your spirit things that will help your mind to stay peaceful uh you know thanksgiving always helps your mind to stay peaceful if you are a person who demonstrates your love for god who lifts holy hands who is free about worshiping god who always allows god access into your life and your mind you will be less troubled about these Minor things that come and go in the earth. You know, these little fireballs that Satan sends out when he wants to disturb the peace that's on the earth. Uh, you know, you, you will, you will have that mindset that easily gravitates back to the peace of God, back to the hope of God, back to the comfort of God, back to the faith of God, where you are secure and you know that you know that you know that this will end for your good. And it will definitely End and so these are things that that he is helping us to uh, to always keep in mind. The prayer aspect is very important for combating fear. When you experience fear, your your world seems insecure. You go to God until you have peace. Amen. Don't just go and and say I want this, I want that, want the other, and then keep worrying. Men, don't go and, and, and don't get your mind settled about things. You got me? There are some things that you need to get settled on the inside of you so that you can make the right decision for God. And you can be a good soldier in his kingdom. Amen. You just need to get them settled. There's so many things that people do say and experience. They make plans about that they've never got it settled in God. And the way God wants to do these things. Sometimes we we are hoping God, we're hoping sometimes we can do it before he catches on to the fact that we want it. You know, uh, we're just so adamant about going around the peace aspect of it because we think God's going to take forever to give us stuff. Mm-hmm. He never does it fast enough. 
when he does it, it's not enough of it. Uh, all of that of carnality will come to disturb your mind. You know, uh, if you know that God is going to get this thing settled for you, you can only move so much at, at a certain time. You got me? Uh, part of it's trusting him to give you the direction and give you the faith and give you the encouragement to make the moves that you need to move, to make. And so it may go faster than you think and it may be slow, but what difference does it make as long as you're trusting God? It's the trust factor that is so important in giving us peace of mind is do you really trust him i know sometimes we feel anxious we you're in pain or you're in discomfort or you've you've suffered long with this thing and you've wondered 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 when it's going to come to an end but the most important aspect of that is your journey in between how peaceful have you been Throughout this difficult period. How much did you really trust God. From day to day. How much have you cast your cares upon him. Because he cares for you. This is the important stuff. Whether or not you get what you want. Is not as important. Is did you trust God on the way getting there. You know, And he wants us to trust him. This is healthy Christian living. And it is so important. And, and as you grow and as you trust him, you'll begin to appreciate how important that is. See, when you're just looking for your bad time to be over, you're looking for your goodies to come in, you're upset and you don't appreciate God. But if you have to slow down and really trust him, uh, after a while you begin to um, understand how important growing in that trust really is. And one of the tests of how you're trusting God is whether or not you are in peace about everything in your life. Amen. Are you in peace or are you disturbed? Are you in turmoil? Are you not willing to look at certain things because, you know, that kind of stuff. And peace really has to do with uh, whether or not you trust God and you're willing to uh, follow his instructions in life. Uh, if you are not willing to do that, you will be disturbed. Amen. You you will be disturbed and and you will suffer loss. So really Paul is trying to get people to understand how to have peace with God, how to have success with God, how to always have God in your corner and always have peace of mind and keep a healthy mindset. You know, there's sometimes there's some thoughts in our heads that um the enemy can grab onto and begin to feed it more. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, sometimes uh, if we don't deal with the fear of, then you'll start seeing life circumstances start to manifest more in that area of fear of that certain thing. You understand what I'm saying? Like, for instance, if you're not secure in your finances and God has and you're afraid to give or you're afraid to increase your giving or you're afraid pretty soon you can bank on it. There's going to be more natural things that will demand money from you. 
just because that fear is there and the enemy sees that fear that he set inside of you and you refuse to deal with it by giving it over to God and refusing to be anxious about it. God, what do I need to do as far as my giving is concerned to ensure that I have a certain amount of return coming so that I can leave peacefully for you and all of that? If you refuse to address that, then the enemy will start orchestrating circumstances in your life to make that fear more real. See, he will grab onto that. And so that's what Paul says when he says, don't be anxious about anything. Get that fear out of you. Uh, make sure that you have reason to trust God. Amen. That you've got scripture on the inside of you that tells you, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. If God tells you to do something, you have to be willing to do it so that you're not depending upon on you because that's where the fear is coming in because you're if you're depending on yourself you're really thinking about what's going on in the natural and we can't we can't look at that we really can't we have to be people who can look beyond natural means and understand the spiritual aspect here is so much more important uh, than mental I think the apostle Paul too was preparing them for a certain level of persecution that was going to come to the church in later times uh, in having a church that knows how to maintain itself in faith and maintain itself in peace is extremely important because if you can do that then God always has some happy warriors down here that he can depend on you know what I'm saying if, if you don't have what you want you're upset about it you won't do much for God I'm just here to tell you. And that's why these admonitions come to us to encourage us how to keep a healthy mindset. Why? So that you can, your success in God can be assured at all times. And so he wants us to think a certain way for our own good. Not because you're under mind control or you're under some kind of intimidation or something foolish like that. But uh, this is for your own mental health well-being. So Paul's instructions are for the church's success. Amen. He says here, be careful for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God so now that's we've cleared that up we know what that means he says if you will do that the peace of God which passes all understanding which means your bills are due the money's not there you just lost your job you don't know what's going to happen but you still have peace This is a peace that does not focus on natural surroundings and circumstances. This is a peace that comes from your covenant with God. So the Bible talks about we have the bond of peace. Amen. Uh, A bond is a legal term that points to a security. Amen. Uh, a security for instance if you have a uh, if you're you're in certain kinds of work 
uh, uh, say for instance, if if you are in the security business, or you're in the insurance business, or you have to deal with people's money and you have to deal with securities, they have what the insurance companies will underwrite you, or they will insure you against certain losses that would come to your clients, and they refer to that as a bond, because it is. It is something to give your clients comfort and give them peace of mind that you have a power of attorney to transact their money for them. You got me? So they, they will bond you to a certain level of loss. So if, if, say for instance, if somehow the money got missing out of everybody's accounts, there's a surety bond out there that will pay for those losses. All your people have to do is find out that money's missing and go claim, put a claim on there and get their money back. So the word bond actually refers to something that has bound that person to you to make good on what you're believing for. So really, peace is our surety bond that God heard our prayer and he is the answer is there or it's on the way or we can count on him that bring that answer in due season. Until you have God's peace about something, stay on your knees, stay in the word. Sometimes the peace will come a little go because your mind wanders. So Paul says this is for you people with them wandering minds. That you had peace for a hot minute and your mind conjured up some doubt. What if? Huh? Your mind will always throw you a what if scenario. And so what you must do is refuse that and grab your peace back again. Because your peace is your security. Your peace says it's coming. Your peace says I can trust you God. Oh don't give me your peace. Don't let me know I'm peaceful about this already. Woo, hallelujah. It's coming. So peace really says it's on the way. Peace really says you touch God. You reached him. And it's on the way. And so when people's peace gets disturbed, that's an important thing because what that really says is somehow you've gotten, uh, um, somehow the enemy has pried your promise away from you and gotten you to doubt whether or not God's going to do it. And he'll come in a lot of subtle ways, folks. One of the things, one of the subtle religious things he'll do is you'll start, you'll be thinking of, of, you know, whatever you want to think about and all of a sudden the thought will come to you. Oh, I didn't have this yet. When is that coming? You know, the, the time question. When is that going to show up? What's going to, when, if, when, when, what, 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 and start to question why you don't have it yet. Well, see, when you listen to that, you think that's coming from you and that's a legitimate question. But that's a spirit of doubt speaking to you. So doubt has pried your fingers loose from your peace in God. And now you're starting to wonder, when is it coming? When is it coming? Well, God's already answered that question. He says in due season, you will reap if you faint not. So what the enemy knows it is he if he can get you to faint, you won't get it in due season. See? 
this season might be prolonged. He's hoping you quit believing and walk away from it. Then he's stolen it from you. Amen. And so once you begin to understand these questions that come out after you have peace, the enemy will always come to question you as to let your peace go. His his job is to get you to let go of that bond of peace because as long as there's peace between you and God, God will look down at you and say, mm, "I better go and give that to them because they're still having peace. That they they're bonded to me now." See, we're we're in come that bond is like God's handshake. So peace is God shaking hands with you and say it's a done deal. When you let go of peace, that means you, you're doubting that it's a done deal. And now you're wondering why it hasn't happened yet. When God already told you, you have it already. It's not like it hasn't happened. You have it already. So the enemy wants you to doubt that you have it. Wants you to let it go so he can get it. Give it to some of his lying and cheating people. Amen. But really what... what Lack of peace really means is that God is telling you that, I mean, lack of peace uh, means that you have walked away from your handshake with God. What you say is, I don't believe you. I don't have it and I don't believe you. It's never coming. You start taking up the enemy's mindset and you start taking up his confession about it. So that's why peace is so important. Amen. Very, it passes all understanding because it transcends the natural realm. God's peace cares not what it looks like down here. Amen. And, and the enemy will start to move furniture around in your house to make it look like something's wrong. Make it look like a burglar's been there already. Or make it look like God's stealing from you. Huh? God, I've been doing this, that, and that, and that, and that. Why isn't it here yet? Mostly the devil gets us in condemnation feeling our faith is inadequate. Got me? Oh, I haven't confessed this in a while, and I haven't confessed that in a while, and I haven't done this in a while, and I, you're doubting yourself. What Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. If you think you haven't done it enough, start doing it. (laughs) You know, prove the devil to be a liar. Amen. We all need to worship God more. You all need to thank God more. Amen. You all need to, to confess the word more so you'll stay in faith with it. But that doesn't mean that God's not faithful. See, at the bottom line is he's trying to get you to doubt God. The Bible says when we're faithless, he's faithful. He can't deny he told you he was going to do it. He will do it. If he has to make you get up in the middle of the night and start speaking the word and start worshiping him, he'll do it. He's able to press out of us what we need to do. Don't doubt, don't, don't discount the Holy Spirit's leading in the things that you need to do from day to day. The Holy Spirit leads you to remember it. Just do it. Don't condemn yourself for the fact you haven't done it. You don't have permission to condemn yourself. (laughs) 
But this is the faith of the Son of God that we're using. You're really doubting Jesus' faith. It's not your faith anymore. You put your faith over in Him. Amen? You did. So whatever His faith tells you to do, you do. You know if your mind is wandering, you won't, you haven't worshipped God in a few days, so get up and worship Him. In other words, just where you are, just start being thankful in your heart. Let your soul magnify Him. You know, just think thanksgiving. Just think praise. Just think magnify God. Let your thoughts magnify Him. So that's where Paul takes us from actual speaking to what we meditate on. And this is a much more faithful and productive realm of worship in God. It's it's a very faithful and productive level of living. Because once you love God with all of your mind, he is free to commune with you anytime. You open the door up to let God's thoughts come in and he will begin to speak to you more. He'll be, it's a higher level of relationship because, you know, it's like your, uh, your children when they're small, they ask for everything. They have no concept of mom and dad have, <clears throat> have a paycheck that only has so much money in it and, you know, they can't buy you everything. As they get older, they begin to experience what life is really all about and if you will teach them and help them to understand you know well we will do this I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do that this time but I'm going to make plans to do it because I've got to pay bills this week I've got this do this this and this and this and so when you start sharing with your children they begin to get your mind they get to get a more of adult mind about what life is all about and what God is doing here with these people is giving them more of a mature mind on how to live for him. And not just, okay, so we have the prayer of agreement and you can live off of the prayer of agreement. But it's much better if you can be the agreement within yourself. See? You can agree with God in your mind as well. Because the mind is pretty much the last thing to really get renewed and transformed in most Christians. In fact, many Christians don't. Don't even change the way they think. From They know they're saved. But they can't stay away from this. They can't do that. They can't be faithful here. They can't. They fail at so many things because of... They're not transformed by the renewing of their minds. So Paul begins to tell them how to renew their minds. You renew it in the word. But also you keep peace and you keep hope within your inner being by choosing to think a certain way. See, this is a choice of mindset. So Paul is saying you have a control where you have a dial in your mind and I want you to set it to this Got me? Just like in your house, if you want to conserve energy, and you know, if you know it's gonna get warm one day, not warm the next day, you find a, a like a nice temperature, you set your thermostat on, you don't have to keep moving it, depending on what, and this is what Paul is doing with us. He says, listen, your outside temperature, your circumstances in life, the things that may happen to you are gonna go up and down. But you'll keep peace if you set your 
mental thermostat here. You got me? And so he gives us a dial to set our mental thermostat to where it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter who's going broke. It doesn't matter who got hit with the virus. It doesn't matter how many people died of it. It doesn't matter what they don't have toilet paper at the store. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. You have a covenant with God that he supplies all of your need and you set your dial to those thoughts that keep that that thought fed in your mind because your thoughts feed themselves there are certain thoughts that you have that feed you there are certain ones that 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 flatten you out emotionally and spiritually there are some that keep you encouraged emotionally and and spiritually and so Paul wants you to know what setting to set your mind on. Amen. There's a setting you need to set your mind on. So, and, and these aren't just happy thoughts. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, it's, uh, tell a joke and everybody laughs for a minute and then they go home just as depressed as when they came in. Paul is talking about something that is going to reset your thought pattern so that you can stay on an even keel in life. Not that you can't have excitement and joy. Amen. But you're going to start learning how to rejoice in certain other things that you used to rejoice in. Hmm? Some people, your thoughts are set to rejoice at certain things that that depend on the material realm. You know, uh, you have to know that life is much more than than clothing and and food, as Jesus said. Amen. And and so, don't get in strife with each other about these petty things. You know, um, I know sometimes people. You know, the most arguments married people have is over money. Who controls it, uh, what they're going to do with it, how it's going to be spent. If you watch yourself, you get over in that, that, that valley where most of the time you have conflict over material things. You're going to have to pull yourself back out of that now and reprogram your mind. Get peace about that. God is your supply. Amen. Um, you're not one another's supply. God is your supply. Period. And just start praying and asking God. I, I know uh, um, Henry Groover was saying that. And because he was in ministry, it was very important. But it seems that he and his wife had a, uh, and she was mature in God like he was. You know, they got married, it seems pretty young, but they were both church people, you know, committed to God, committed to ministry, etc. And, uh, but, but he, he said, we made an agreement, my wife and I, that we would not speak about what God was was doing with me in ministry. Now he was a prayer walker, and he went and walked everywhere. Uh, here and there, his wife would go with him if it permitted. But when they first started, he said, "I never mentioned to her anything I thought God was saying to me, and she didn't with me until we both understood and had peace that He had spoken to both of us." He said, "And we never told anybody we needed money. We would pray until the money." Came came in when it came in we knew God wanted us to do certain things so it's and it's not hard to do that you just have to know it's possible 
You got me? It's not hard at all for both people to trust God and to not try and manipulate and push one another uh, with their own will. That's the worst way in the world to live is to, you know, as much as I just, I crack jokes about my husband being tight. And he was tight. <laughs> not my thing. You understand what I'm saying? But, <laughs> but I knew it was for a good reason. And I never fussed with him about it. I just was say hmm you know little things but keep him on edge a little bit I didn't want him to think I lost my edge totally but uh, you know uh, but the the thing of it is I I opted for peace over power you know because really all you're doing is getting into a power struggle with someone and, and you have to opt for peace over power and you really have to listen to God you know I know people try to you know married people are a little weird they they try to work out deals with one another but what that really says is you're still trying to run everything you're trying to have your way and so if you can just leave it up to God God I won't buy anything mention anything unless my wife says it to me or I say it to her or you can say it to both of us or we don't buy anything unless we both have peace about it give each other respect and a chance to pray about these things before you go do them that's that's all that is is respecting them spiritually and where they are and give them an opportunity to hear from God before you go insert your will into the situation once you hear from God it's all going to work out but that's an indication you don't trust God now if you you stay in strife you don't you know agree and then you go do it anyway it's an indication you don't trust God because there's a way in God that both people can be satisfied and both people can be peaceful uh, in all things you know I've seen God do it from from how we spent money to how we spent our time whether we went on vacation whether we you know all those things he always brought peace to us about those decisions I would always ask God well what do you think about this God he said oh listen to him He, I'll talk to him I'll tell him what to do you understand what I'm saying and then sometimes there were some things I knew were wrong and, and God would say well you better tell him that my word says so and so and such and such I knew he would get mad but I told him anyway and then later on he said well God told me that already <laughs> whatever let's just you know what I'm saying so it's not that everybody will be peaceful and no conflict forever but God will settle it out you got to trust God you got to bring him in on the deal and let him begin to tell everybody thinks they they don't have long to do everything they want to do this is the devil he'll push you into doing things faster than you're supposed to in spite of you know whether your spouse has peace about it uh, he'll push you to push your will on people it's not right Man, God's called us to peace. So if you don't seek peace, you won't have peace. It's something that will be there if you want it. If you want conflict and strife and, and a power push, you, you'll get that too. So, and it's not pleasant to live that way. Amen. Amen. You, you violate that person's will. You violate their peace of mind. They need to have peace of mind if you're going to have partner in, in God and live peacefully in God. Peace is very important. So, um, but, but this scripture in Philippians tells us, verse 8 tells us that we have the power to change our thoughts. 
And this is essential in changing our behavior, in changing our words, in changing everything. So the most important investment you can make in yourself mentally is meditating on the word and changing thoughts when you find yourself running into a, a, a whirlpool of worrisome thoughts, negative thoughts, all of that, you you start praying so that you can get peace and then change your thoughts. And so he says in this, he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, Things of pure, uh, lovely, good report, virtue and praise. That's a whole list of stuff you're supposed to include in your thought life. You got me? Not just when am I going to get it and how much is it going to cost and when they're, when are they going to bring it in here? <laughs> like moi <laughs> used to think. But, uh, you know what I'm saying. Uh, uh, but I had sense enough to back up off my nonsense. You know what I'm saying? And just, just get, okay, God, let me settle down. Let me get peaceful. Whatever, whatever. And he says that, that, that think on these things. So one translation says to fix your mind. In other words, set your thermostat, set your mental thermostat, fix it on these things. Don't touch that dial. Amen. Leave it there. Yeah, some people will put like if you go in some people's house, they have a piece of tape on the thermostat, or you know, a church sometimes or a public place, they put a tape on the thermostat. Don't touch it because you know some of them are programmed a little differently. You come in and it's too hot in there, it's freezing cold. You say somebody touched it. I can tell. Uh, and so that's what God wants us to be about our mental condition. He said, don't touch that dial. I don't want you to fix it on trying to figure out what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and what, you know, I don't want you over there. I want you here. So set your dial on chill. Amen. <laughs> that's what it means. Set your dial on chill. So, Number one, you have the power to change the way you think. Many people don't think that, but you do. You have the power to change the way you think. Ask anybody who's lost weight. They, they'll say, I didn't think I can do that. Yeah, cause you change the way you think and you're not even aware that's what happened, but that's exactly how that happens. Amen. It, it says we have the power to change our thoughts. This is essential to changing our behavior and changing our lives. And it's essential to maintaining peace. Amen. James 1.15 tells us that we sin. Sin is conceived in our hearts when things in our mind we fixate on and we begin to lust after. So you can have a thought of of something unclean or something. But if you let it go through your head and not bring it back in and focus on it. And let your lust start to desire it. See, there's many steps in committing sin. Is a thought comes to you, uh, if you and you dwell on it, you nurse it, you start to like it, you start to conceive it, and pretty soon you do it. That's that's a long road to go down, but there's some people that just do that. They, you know, sometimes Christians like cheating. 
they like getting away with. There's that little rebellion in people sometimes where they want to get away with something they're not supposed to do and they try to do it in secret and kind of smile about it and grin about it and laugh about it that kind of stuff and and uh, it's wrong you know because you're feeding you're playing you playing uh you know russian roulette here with your spiritual life so Paul gives us and lust causes us to desire that which we see and hear about. Some people just have no desire for certain things and that's a blessing. You know, like they'll say, I don't, I don't have a desire to watch movies, you know, and I really don't. I just, I, I can't pay attention to anything that long, to be honest. When <laughs> Pastor Shirley and I sometimes, you know, if I'm over on a holiday or something, her kids will say, well, let's watch a movie. We both go, <laughs> Before, before they even put it on, because they know we're not going. Mama always goes to sleep on these movies, and Baba sleeping with her, and they just, oh, you know, these old chicks. And they, I tell them, hey, old people go to sleep on young people. What do you want? We've been up long enough with y'all, so, amen. <laughs> Taking care of them, getting them to school, feeding them, picking them up here and there. You know, it's a lot of work. It's time to go to sleep. So, but lust will cause us to desire what we see or hear about, man. Um, if if something comes across your screen on television and you leave it on and you can't turn away from it, it's a problem, man. Some things you just don't, you know, you can't can't take the chance. You know, people think well, I'm not afraid of it. You better be. <laughs> I know I am. See, we think we're we're being strong because we can watch certain things and it don't bother us. It, you're more deceived than the the person that's running from it. Amen. You know, it, I I firmly believe that people in this country have been conditioned to hate, to strive, and to argue. Now, go back mm, ten or fifteen years. The first reality shows. And how popular they've been and still are and see how the level of how these people treat one another has gone downhill. They fight, they cuss, they, you know, insult one another, they do all of these things and people tune in week after week after week just to see. Yeah. So, um, I remember back in the old day, uh, the, uh, program dynasty they would fight among the those weren't reality shows but you know they would show women fighting and and acting ungodly toward each other and you seldom saw anything like that on television people always were treated with respect and you pulled for the good guy the good guy was the one that didn't treat anybody bad now people are pulling for the bad guy the one that cuss everybody out and you know (laughs) The ridiculous things, but they they degrade humanity. See, we're we've gotten trained to not even turn a blind eye or a deaf ear when another human being is being degraded. See, and so if we tolerate that, there's something in us that's getting fed by that. You know, people say, "Well, I don't really pay." No, you don't. You're a human being, just like the Bible says you are. And James tells you that you can conceive these things. See, sin is conceived when lust causes it to get in our hearts, and we begin to desire it. Mm-hmm. And they want you. They'll. They'll. These people on these. Uh, reality shows sell you products 
They get their name on stuff and you want it. You go out and buy it and spend money on it. Why? Because you like them. And, and there's something in you that agrees with what they do. Amen. So this is a prescription for how we should set our minds in 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 its essential in winning any war. If you're going to win the war of getting your provision, getting your prayers answered, getting your needs met, it's essential that you pay attention and keep your mind set on certain things. Second Corinthians 10.5 tells us to cast down thoughts, imaginations that fight against this mindset. So if you, you're gonna think on all, all these kinds of things and not on things contrary to it, you've got to fight and war when, uh, thoughts that are not like this start coming into your mind. Amen? For instance, if you believe in God for your health, you can't walk around thinking you're sick all the time. You can't nurse, uh, feeling uh, uh, if you get a symptom, you can't let that just settle in your brain and find a home there and make it welcome and give it some pillows and fluff it up and get it comfortable and let it recline in your life. You have to cast that down. Say, nope, I'm healed anyway. I'm not sick. I'm healed, devil. Get out of here in Jesus' name. And, and not nurse those thoughts because as you nurse them you begin to conceive what they tell you thoughts are the thoughts are 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 packages they are are um events waiting to be birthed in your life and whether you hold on to them or whether you discard them lets them know whether or not you want them and whether they will be birthed don't let the devil deceive you into thinking that once you have prayed and declared that you're healed because a symptom comes that you're sick again. You can't be both. I don't care how bad you feel from one day to the next. You cannot be healed and sick at the same time. You make up your mind which one you are. Make up your mind what kingdom you live in. Make up your mind how you're going to use your energy, your mental energy, whether it's going to help your life, whether it's going to hurt your life. So it'll help your life if you renounce that. Now, I know everybody has something in mind of how easy life is going to be if they just lay down and don't fight. Huh? Well, that's what the devil presents to us. Self-pity, you want to indulge yourself. You want to, you know, there was somebody that was, was bragging that their husband was waiting on them hand and foot. I said, girl, you better get up off that couch because the devil will kill you if you stay on there any longer. You know, now I just had to rebuke that soundly because they were so fixated on he never does anything for me and now he's finally doing something for me. I said, you're going to let that thing take you out of here. I said, you get up and you start to fight and forget about him. You got me? This is nonsense for a Christian. You know, there's too much at stake for us um, because the enemy likes nothing better than to find a believer that used to believe all this wonderful stuff and now look at him. 
See what I'm saying? He likes the Carlton Pearsons of the world. Amen. He likes those kind of people who he can point as an example that Christianity and Christianity must not be that powerful because look, he had a huge church. He used to preach the gospel and now look at him. He doesn't believe any of that stuff. And so we can't be people who get wishy-washy on our faith. Keep your faith in one place and then cultivate the habit of setting your mental thermostat to think on certain things. Now, if you're, if you're believing God for your symptoms to leave and be healed, what do you think on? Think all the people in the Bible that he healed. Think all the testimonies that you've heard about healing. Think on the fact that you're not as sick as you think you are most days. Think on the fact that you thought you were dead three times and you're still here. Think on those things. Healthy thoughts. Set your dial to that and quit thinking about how you feel from minute to minute. Feelings are a matter of focus most of the time. You feel like what you focus on. If you have one little pain, you use it, go grab it. You know what I'm saying? You can't do that. You live in a different kingdom. Pain is not king in our kingdom. Amen? Why? He took our pains. Took them already. Why don't you try to experience absence of pain? Say, Jesus, you took my pain already. Now, I don't know how all that works, but I'm feeling pain. So can you show me what to say, how to pray, what to do, so I can get to the place where... And you don't think on that. You think on what he did for you. You think on him on that cross getting beaten and taking the curse off of your life. Think on those things. Huh? Well, I don't like to think like that. That's just, it's just so. No, you need to. You need to. Cause it'll help you. Think on those things. Think on his word. Think on by his stripes you're healed. Think on sin has no dominion over you. Satan has no dominion over you. Sin has no dominion over you. Think on those things. Think on you're dead to sin and alive unto righteousness. There's no law against righteousness. Think about the fact that, that uh, uh, sickness is illegal. The courts of heaven have decreed that you are healed. Amen. You have a you have a decree levied on your life that you are healed. Think on the fact that if you can believe God to pay your bills, you can believe Him to heal your body. Got me? It's all the same covenant. This takes a little bit more effort here. Amen. And that's not to say that you got to pretend anything. You're not pretending. You're abiding in truth. So Paul tells us whatever is honest. What's honest? Huh? It's honest that Jesus did all this stuff for us. Amen. So we're to think on that. This is, this is an honest saying. This is honest and true. That, that he, he did these things for us. Remember the good that God has done. You, that's when you're being honest with yourself. The honest thing is God doesn't want us in sickness. That's what's honest. Amen. Whatever is just. In other words, what satisfies God's law of righteousness? His law of righteousness says that by his stripes you're healed. Amen. So that's what's, yeah, I'm healed. I am healed. No, that's a just saying. It's, it's, I am healed. What's pure. In other words, what's, what's not got some taint of the world in it. 
If anything has the taint of the world in it, it's sickness and it's poverty and pain. So you think on those things. Yeah, God, I I know I can be healed because I've felt better. There are days when I felt 100% good. And I know those days will come back again. I just have to focus on what I did, how I felt, what I was doing, and all of that when I felt better and see myself being better. What's lovely, amen. What's beloved of God, amen. What thoughts, you know, if you have to just think and remember, uh, sometimes uh, vacations that you took or trips that you took where the weather was really nice or when you were a kid when your parents would drive all night so the family could go to a Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, those things, those are the, the, the lovely and beloved of God things, the pure things. Whatever is praiseworthy and thankworthy. Ooh, hallelujah, I'm healed. Praise the Lord, I'm healed. Oh, that's praiseworthy. He bore stripes for me. I don't have to take that punishment in my body anymore. I am totally healed. Amen. It's praiseworthy. That's, that's, I am healed is praiseworthy. Not I'm going to be healed or I want to be healed or he's going to heal me. I am healed and that's worthy of praise. Amen. I don't have to wait for this healing. I can be healed at any time. All I got to do is reach up and receive it from heaven. Heaven. Amen. Exercise your faith. Don't let it sit in a corner waiting for some emergency to happen. You know, emergency is right now because I need my mind to be straightened out about this. I'm starting to pick up worry about this. So I want these things to to be eliminated from my life. So these uh, fruit of God's spirit encourage godliness. Amen. And really these fruit of the spirit keep your heart ready to receive God's word. So that when the word comes to you, it doesn't sound like you're being criticized. It doesn't sound like somebody's beating up on you. And, you know, if you weren't so stubborn and trying to hold on to these crazy ideas, you'd feel more... You feel gooder. You feel gooder than you do now. But people don't beat up on anybody. It's that resistance that we have. You know, some people just don't want to change. So they think. Amen. But God wants us to change every single day. We're going from a glory to a glory to a glory. We're getting better. We're getting better. We're getting better. We're getting more wise in God. Great, more godly ideas. All that kind of stuff. That's increasing. So we should want to change. You know, what makes you think you're so right about about everything that you don't have to change. We need to be changed. If you've got Simpson's symptoms in your body, you need to change your mind. Amen? So I can remember every night I couldn't sleep on one side one side of my body and I was, oh let me get in the word, let me confess it. And God told me, He said, Would you roll over and consider not? And I remember it was painful very painful. I, in fact, I had to stretch out a certain way. I couldn't go on that side. I had to go this side, all that kind of stuff. Now it's gone. It's been gone forever almost, it seems. But but not considering it. And I just would go turn back over and say, Lord, by your stripes I'm healed. And I just worship you and I thank you for keeping me well. I thank you, Lord, that this pain is not unto death. I thank you this pain is gone. It's nothing. You took it already. And, and things like that. You have to watch your thinking. 
Folks, if you're going to stay peaceful and you're not going to go off and act crazy somewhere and, you know, start getting people upset with you all the time, you've got to watch what you think. So Paul is telling you how to think. And it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Amen. It's a good thing. Amen. All right. Why don't we stop? Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for instructions from heaven. Thank you, Lord, of how we can can really, really do what you want us to do, Lord. I just thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord. And I bless you. And I praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.